Hello, everyone. My guest today is Offer Bengal. He's the co-founder and CEO of a company called Redis Labs. Before that, he's a serial entrepreneur who has founded and led several companies in the areas of data communications, telecommunications, internet, homeland security, and medical devices. He was the founder and CEO of RIT Technologies, which is now on the NASDAQ at RITT, a provider of highly sophisticated telecommunications and data communication systems to major world carriers. He began his career as an aerospace engineer in the Israeli Air Force and then built his own aerospace engineering consulting firm. As a hobby, he's also invented, developed, and licensed toy concepts to companies such as Milton Bradley, Hasbro, and Tommy. Offer, are you ready to take us to the top? I'm sorry, I didn't hear you so well. I'm I, sorry. Said, I said, are you ready to take us to the top? Sure. Very, sure you don't sound very, we should end this right now. You don't sound very excited. Say again? I said, we should end this right now. You still don't, don't sound very excited. <laughs> Shall I start dancing? No, I'm kidding. Okay, tell us about the company. What does Redis Labs do and, and what's the revenue model? How do you make money? So we are a database company and, you know, the database wealth has changed a lot in recent years after being sort of very conservative and stagnant for, for about 40 years. You know, since the beginning in the mid-70s with companies like Oracle, IBM, Microsoft, etc. In the last 10 years or so, the market is open for new, new type of databases, which are called NoSQL databases. And you have companies in this space, such as MongoDB, which, which went public about eight months ago, uh, Datastacks, Redis Labs, and some others. Uh, this company started about seven years ago around something else, as many startups do. Uh, we The basic idea was to accelerate the performance of applications. And we did that by building a caching system. When we did that, we found an open source, cute open source by the name of Redis, which was started by an Italian guy out of Sicily, okay. a guy by the name of Salvatore Sanfilippo. And he started it as sort of, you know, half hobby, half for something that he built for Telecom Italia. And he put it as an open source. And we found it and we thought, hey, you know, this is great as the engine under the hood of, for what we were doing at that time. And after a year, we saw that it's picking up in the market. And this was, this was 2012 offer? This is basically 20, around 2012. Yeah, we started in 2011. A year after, we saw that Redis is becoming so popular as an open source that we better do something about it. And we decided to become a Redis company. So the original name of the company was something else. Then we became Redis Labs. And from that on, and later on, uh, this, you know, Salvatore joined the company as lead open source. And, uh, and today we do basically development of the open source and what we call Redis Enterprise, which is our commercial offering. Which is kind of what you upsell, right? And this is what we sell. Yep. And basically we sell it in two uh, major uh, deployment options. The first one is what is called database as a service. So this is some sort of automated service whereby we rent thousands of cloud servers in multiple public clouds, such as Amazon, uh, Google, Microsoft, uh, Azure, etc. We put our technology on our servers, and then our customers, which some of them are very, very big, Fortune 10, even Fortune 10 customers put their data on our servers and we manage 
those databases for them in a fully automated manner. Yep. So but, this but, is offer oh, just to be clear though, there you have humans on the back end as well, along with code kind of managing those. It's a professional service. Not really, no. We do not do professional services. We are against this model. We think it's not good. So this is a fully automated system. We have, you know, we manage over it hundreds of thousands of databases. Across how, ma- like how many 80- clients? Well, we have today uh, approximately 8,500 uh, enterprise clients and approximately 100,000 free customers on our free tiers. And all that is managed by five DevOps. So, you know, that's all. And what's the total team? What's the, to- the what's the total team size today? So we have uh, approximately 200 people in the company, a little bit over than that. This is going to grow to 270 uh, towards the end of the year. Uh, it's p- basically half and half, half in Israel, which is R&D, and then all the rest, the headquarters, uh, sales, marketing, and everything else is in Mountain View, California. Good. It sounds like a good split there. And and give me a sense too. So these people that pay you, right? It sounds like you're approaching this from an enterprise space. You talked about 10 Fortune uh, Fortune 100 or Fortune 500 companies using you guys. What is it? But you have 8,500 customers. So there's a long tail here happening. What's your core focus? Kind of the long tail or the enterprise? Enterprise, absolutely. And just to give you, you know, some some names of customers. So, you know, we have customers from all verticals. So in banking, we have American Express, Charles Schwab, Wells Fargo. In financial services, we have MasterCard, Visa, Intuit, Fiserv, e-commerce. We have Walmart, eBay, Starbucks. In social, we have Twitter, Twitch, Shutterfly. In media, we have MSN, DreamWorks, The Martin Fool. In advertising, we have Havas, RevMob. In technology, we have Apple, Cisco, Dell. Communication, Comcast, AT&T, Verizon, Vodafone, and so on and so forth. I can give you many, many uh, uh, names like this. We so I'll offer. Sorry, let me let me ask. I, you, go ahead. Yeah. I was going to say, let me let me re-ask my question, right? So I get it. You, you work with enterprise customers. I, I, that's clear. But if I forced you to not, uh, you, have, you could go down every customer cohort. But if I forced you to just give me like an average, what would you say the average customer pays you per month or per year for this database as a service? So, you know, j- database as a service is our long tail where we have, um, you know, I would say around $1,000 per, per, per month. I'm sorry, per year. And then when you go to the uh, software side of the business, which is larger, we are talking about if you take the uh, overall average, it's around 60K per year. Yep. Uh, if you are talking about Fortune 100 customers, it's around 300K per year. Yep. That's the average. Obviously, we have customers paying millions of dollars per year. Yep. No, that makes good sense. Now, if I take five, you know, $60,000 per year price point, you know, monthly, that comes up to about five grand a year. And you just said you have 8,500 enterprise clients. If I multiply 8,500 times five grand a month, that would put you at 42 million a month. Is that accurate? How did you get that to that again? So, I'm just using your numbers. You just said you had 8,500 customers and you said the average contract value is 60 grand a year, which comes out to five grand a month. So five grand times 8,500 customers would put you at about 42 million bucks no, no, per no, month. No. I mean, you know, um, let me let me put it straight. So we have, you know, we have 8,500 customers. Out of them, approximately 250 are software customers. And these are the big enterprise customers. 
the service customers are much smaller. Okay, got right? it. So the service customers are the ones that you said were closer to the the a thousand bucks a month versus five thousand. Exactly. Oh, I see what you're saying. Okay, got it. Good. So so enterprise, you have eighty five hundred just to summarize that you have eighty five hundred total paid customers, of which 250 are enterprises with an average ACV of call it 60. The rest, call it 8,200, are more around a thousand bucks a month, something like that. Yeah. I see. Okay, good. So look, if I add up the same thing, I can add up kind of those two revenue streams to put you at a revenue kind of monthly recurring uh, right around the the $9.4 million mark. Is that more accurate? Uh, it's, it's more accurate. We are not there yet. I mean, we are getting there. Uh, we are not, we're, we're not there yet. When will you pass uh, it? Do you think what's your goal? I'm sorry. I'm, when do you think, think, when do you think you'll pass 9 million a month? What's your goal? That will be approximately a year from now. Oh, great. That's good. So what's the, what growth rate are you looking at today? Year over year. So the company is growing approximately 60% year over year. And, uh, you know, we we are building the company to become uh, a major software or major database company, and we think that you know in order to do to do you know a nice sizable uh, IPO, we need approximately two two and a half years. Yep. Okay, that's great. I want to talk more about kind of the story in terms of how you're signing up these customers. You just listed very impressive customer list there. Before I do that, your goal again next year is to hit 9 million a month in revenue. Give me a general sense of where you're at today. Well, you know, we are not sharing numbers because we are a private company, but you know, I think that if you take what I said about being approximately two years away from IPO, you can get a, you know, a very general sense of where we are. Well, if you said you said just a second ago, you're generally growing about 60% year over year. So if your goal a year from now is to be at 9 million, I could kind of say, okay, well, if his goal is 60% growth to get to 9 million, then he's probably somewhere around, call it six-ish right now, 6 million per month. Is that accurate math? Uh, you know, I, you are trying to uh, to get the number in an in indirect way. And, you know, I, I won't like to share it, but, you know, take it, as I said, you know, we are approximately two years from an IPO readiness with a nice IPO. What, what does that mean, though? Some people could say you could IPO at a 50 million run rate. Some could say you wait until 200 million to IPO, like calling it ISIM. So, so it's a, still a huge gap. What, is, what, is IP, what does IPOing mean to you? Thank you, as you wish. Well, no, but I'm not in your shoes. I've never been in your shoes. So it'd be if, if, if I could just tell my audience what to learn from, I wouldn't have you on the show. The goal here is to feature you. So you tell me when you think about, well, first off, why, why is IPO a goal at all? Why do you want to IPO? Uh, you know, uh, the idea is to build a long-term, um, you know, business uh, and not to do a quick exit such as via acquisition. Uh, and this is a very natural way, you know, when you want to grow and you want to grow fast, you need, you know, to raise money. And IPO seems very reasonable for this. Uh, but there's know, a lot. This. I mean, you know this. There's a lot of money in private markets right now. And you, so you could still raise money without the without the need to be publicly scrutinized. Why not just raise another round? No, we do so. We do so. And also, you know, an IPO gives uh, some sort of exit to, to certain investors, to some of the employees and so on. So, you know, it, 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 it's the good of both worlds. But, but you could still do that with, the, with, I mean, there's plenty of growth equity firms that'll come write you a $100 million check of which 80, 80 million of that is going to the secondary offering to cash out early investors and our early employees. So I'm still curious, why IPO? Well, there are many, you know, ma- many more reasons for an IPO. First of all, you know, uh, you know when you look at the uh, image of the company vis-a-vis 
some of the enterprise customers. So that's, you know, that's another argument. Yep. And I can come up with more. Yeah, no, that makes good sense. Uh, walk me through. So you, you broke down your team earlier, 200 people split between Israel, Mountain View. Israel is mostly R&D. Where are you scaling right now? Are you employing like an internal sales team? Are you growing your sales operation via your inside sales team? Yes. Well, our field sales operation is growing uh, constantly. And this is where, you know, most of the growth in terms of HR headcount comes from. And, um, um, you know, the idea is that uh, I would say 60, 70 percent of the growth in headcount in years to come will be in sales, in sales stuff. And the rest is, you know, R&D product and other things. Now, for it's, it's, you know, a lot of people, you know, they scale their inside sales teams too early before they have a lot of confidence in their unit economics. You have a big enough cohort where I'm, I, I'm going to bet you have some confidence there. So talk to me about some of the unit economics on these customers, which relates to obviously how you incentivize a sales team. For example, churn is critical in a SaaS company. What's your churn today? So churn is, is, is relatively low. You know, we are talking about... Uh, a single digit churn, which and is that's annually, annual. Yeah. So less than ten percent logo churn annually. Less than ten percent. Moreover, our expansion is very good. So in any uh, given quarter, half of our growth come from expansions, and if you look at cohorts, etc. So you know, typically a customer doubles uh, its expenditure in two years, in twenty-four months which is pretty good. So, you know, we feel that the, you know, the, the economics of the business are, are you know, are, are strong. So if you take that back and you look at maybe a number that encapsulates all of that, which is net annual revenue retention, it sounds like you're above 100%, but how far above 100%? Not sure that I can answer that. I have to check. Okay. What, what do you mean by that? Like, you're not sure what that number is or it's not something you yeah. measure? I mean, I'm, I'm not sure about the term of... Uh, oh, I see. I see. So in a, in a given year, uh, you lose some revenue, but then you drive expansion revenue as well. So let's say you lose 5% of your revenue, but you grow accounts by 25%. Well, the growth of 25% minus the loss of 5% would put your net annual retention at 120%. Yeah. So, uh, you know, what, what I'm saying here is that uh, in terms of this is what we call... Um, Net expansion, basically. Okay. Net expansion. Um, so I'm assuming you guys are are above 100. percent I'll have I'll have to take another look to, to get to the right you know to get, to get the right numbers. So just ignore. Well, ignore are, are, do you know generally speaking? I mean, 100 percent is a target a lot of people go for. Do you know generally are you above or below 100? Yeah, I think that we are better than that. Yeah, yeah, that would make sense if you're doubling customer accounts every two years, assuming your churn's not super high. Very good. Well, and, we talked about our churn. Our churn is, is fairly low. Well, you, well, you, well, well, but you can have, just to be clear off, or sorry, the reason I asked about churn again is because you said you have 10%, le- less than 10% logo churn annually, correct? Yes. Okay, but if you're churning... Well, I, I, didn't, I didn't talk... Well, when we talk about churn, normally we talk more about uh, ARR churn. Okay, what's your ARR which, churn? Which is, which, is, which is more, you know, more important than logo churn. Logo churn is also important, but that is way less. Yeah. So just to be clear, when you said single digit annual churn, you so less than 10% revenue churn annually on a gross basis. Yes. 
I see. I see. Okay, very good. Uh, what about what about again spending to drive growth? How aggressive are you being in terms of your payback period? In other words, how much are you willing to spend to acquire a new customer? Again, you know, these are numbers that uh, uh, you know we are not we are not sharing at the moment. And to be honest, you know, some of it we are not tracking at the moment because we are in a very aggressive. Uh, growth period. But offer, that's more reason to track it. If you're scaling it inside sales team and you don't know what your payback period is, that would be very, very nerve wracking from an investor's perspective. So first of all, you know, we do not, uh, we do not rely on uh, inside sales. I thought you just said you're scaling an inside sales team. No, no, no. I said we're inside, we are scaling our field organization, reps, reps organization. Okay. Talk to me, talk me through the difference there. How do how will these reps work? So these reps work the old way of, you know, knocking on doors, talking to the customers, convincing them to buy, maintaining the relationships and so on and so forth. And, you know, when you talk to such big customers as we do, there is no other way. You cannot do that with inside sales. Inside sales is more for the long tail, you know, small customers. Uh, When you talk to these, you know, giants, you need to be in constant uh, contact with them. You need to be, you know, in, in with, with contact in many different, uh, uh, you know, dimensions with solution architects, with salespeople, with 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 finance and many other, you know, uh, many other departments within those companies. Great. So, offer if we use your term, which are which are field reps, right? You still have to have some math around. It's going to take four meetings over a year to close a $100,000 per year customer. So if I hire a new rep, it's going to take them six months to get on board and I have to feed them 20 leads per month. That's what I mean by economics, right? So that's then how I get payback. Do you you have that stuff modeled yet? Or are you confident in it? Not yet. Okay. So that's what I'm saying. Earlier, you said you're driving a lot of growth. You, I said your team size is just 200. You said, yeah, it'll be 270 by the end of the year. And most of that's going to come from hiring these reps, but you don't have it modeled yet. I'm trying to understand where you have confidence in that model working for you if you don't have it modeled. <laughs> you know, uh, we look at, uh, you know, what we are doing versus other companies. So just, just to give you an example, you know, we, this company uh, so far raised $78 million, okay? And uh, if we go to, to the market again before an IPO, and we haven't decided yet, we will probably raise not more than $50 million, which will sum uh, the total investments at around 130 okay? If you take a company uh, like MongoDB, they raised approximately north of $300 million before they went public. This means that we probably are way more efficient than MongoDB, and that is considered a very successful company. That, does that answer your question? It doesn't actually. A lot of times the reason people will raise capital is because they've built an efficient machine that they know they can put that money in and get a return. People who are bootstrapped or haven't raised capital, that's a showcase to me that they don't know how to spend the money in an efficient way. So I would actually argue the opposite point you just argued, which is MongoDB has modeled their rep structure and they knew they could pour 300 million bucks into it to get an incredible return. No, it's not the way you do it because you need to, you know, the way to look at it is what is the ARR that you achieved, you know, to get to an IPO at a certain size and how much money you raised in order to get there. And what I'm saying that we will raise way less money than Mongo did. 
but you, but, but, but you think you're not the same the ARR. Same, to get yeah. to the same ARR level. What was their ARR before they went public? Around, um, I think, uh, 120, 130. Yeah. I see. I see. Got it. Well, look again, if you're, if you're, you're at six ish right now and you're on, so call it 70 million AR, you want to get past 9 million per month next year. That'll put you at like 90 or about a hundred million. What you're saying is you think you only need to raise another 15. Did you say one five or five zero million to get that mark? Five zero. five zero million. Okay, good. Well, Hey, it will be very fun to watch you as you do that. It sounds like you're, you built a well-oiled machine here. I appreciate you being transparent and sharing kind of how you're thinking about these elements of again, building a SaaS business. So offer, let's wrap up here with the famous five. Number one, what's your favorite business book? I don't read read business books. Uh, have you? Do you read it all? And if so, what's your last? What's the last book you read? Yeah, yeah, I read. I read a lot. Uh, last one was uh, a book about, believe it or not, about Stalin. That's the bi- a biography about Stalin that that I, I I received. Number two, is there a CEO you're currently following or studying, preferably an off the record one? Not, no, there is none. There's none that you you get you get dinner with in Israel who you really respect that the rest of the world doesn't know about. Not really, no. Wow. Okay. Number three. You know, when I go to dinner, I try to do it with other people, not CEOs. Okay. Number three. Uh, what is your uh, favorite online tool for building your business? I guess Salesforce.com. Number uh, number four. How many hours of sleep do you get every night? Seven to eight. That's pretty good. And what's your situation? Married, single? Do you have kids? Single with kids. Single with kiddos. All right, offer. And how old are you? That's a secret. That's a I'm secret. Good. That's a secret. All right. Well, I asked that because I want to. I want to know what you wish uh, your twenty-year-old self knew. Say again. I ask the age question because I want to give my audience perspective, and then ask you what is something you wish your twenty-year-old self knew. Just to be at the same place where I am. You know, I'm. 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 I'm very happy at where I am right now. I won't go back. I won't go forward. Yeah, offer. Just to be clear, it's not something you would change. It's just a lesson you wish your 20 year old self knew. There's none. Guys, there you have it. Offer from Redis Labs launched in 2011. Now scaling again, very similar spaces like MongoDB. Again, database as a service model, 250 enterprise clients. They got another 8,200, which are more long tail at call it a thousand bucks per month. Flirting with call it the six, seven ish or somewhere in the six, seven ish monthly recurring revenue range. Hoping to grow that 60% year over year to get up to call it nine or 10 million per month soon. Uh, uh, maybe eyeing an IPO in, in, in the next two or three years using way less capital capital than some of his competitors have used to do it. Uh, healthy economics, $78 million raised so far, less than 10% ARR churn per year. Uh, quarterly, 50% of their growth is coming from expansion revenue and customers typically double their accounts every two years. Team of 200 based between Israel and Mountain View offer. Thank you for taking us to the top. Thank you, Nathan.